That's in the air. This could be out. Diamond's underneath it. Will he catch it? He's got good hands. He's got him. Yes, he has. Diamond's got him in the deep. Having fumbled all night, he's taken the big one. Welcome to Couch Talk. Today's guest is former England cricketer and the Guardian's cricket correspondent, Mike Selvi. Mike talks about the sledging and posturing that happened in the recent Ashes Down Under, the impact of Mitchell Johnson's pace on the series, England's future, the supposed Andy Flower versus Kevin Peterson story, and also about his own playing career. Welcome to the show, Mike. Well, thank you. Uh, it's my pleasure having you on. Were you ever told to uh, get ready for a broken effing arm during your playing career, or uh, did you ever tell anyone that? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I don't think anybody bothered with me. I don't think I, don't, I, I certainly wouldn't uh, have the capacity to break anybody's arm. So uh, no, it was the answer to that. <laughs> was um, the intimidation in your playing time a little more subtle than that? Well, <laughs> there were a lot of very fast bowlers around, I have to say that, and, uh, and there aren't that many around now, are there? You know, mm-hmm. Mitchell Johnson is uh, an exception um, these days, and, and uh, back in, certainly in the 70s, when I was playing, the, 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 it was almost the rule, you know, especially in, in county cricket, there were, there were n- numerous very fast bowlers playing, and I think one of the things that's, that's happened now is that players, because they're not used to playing against that sort of pace, I'm not saying they can't do it, but they're just not used to playing against it. Whereas, um, certainly back when, when I was playing, you, you did see the fast bowlers, so it doesn't make it any more easy to play it, but at least you knew what it was like to, uh, to face that kind of bowling. Uh, I was uh, reading this article um, on Crickinfo about this very aspect, I suppose, where um, Dennis Emmis was hit in the head, but then he yeah. makes that double hundred at the over. Yes. That sort of came to my mind when you say that uh, people actually got in line, um, were used to playing fast bowling and were hell-bent on, you know, holding their reputation up rather than basically gifting their wicket away. Yeah. I, and that, that particular thing was, it's funny how your memory plays tricks, actually, isn't it? Because <laughs> uh, I, I, was actually, I was actually one of the people who helped him off the field and, and when, when he got hit. And it, was very, it, was, it was late one evening. It was very dark. And he got hit in the head by Michael Holding on the back of the head, and he was in quite a bad way. And I remember taking him off, and his his, his head was bleeding, and he was sat in the treatment room. And, and my recollection is that that he uh, um, is that he kind of didn't play hardly any cricket after that. Hmm. And in fact, I think that was the first innings. I think he batted again in the second innings. He went straight from that game to play in an, an England Test trial and got a hundred in the Test trial. And they, but they didn't pick him, and they didn't pick him until the end. So, but he actually played a full season. So it is funny how your mind plays tricks, doesn't it? But 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 I mean that was a, 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 was a remarkable comeback to come back from from that. And then you know the next time he faced them was was to get two hundred. Even though you know it's a very flat pitch, but you know nonetheless it was a, it was a, a tremendous effort. Yeah, I mean Michael Holding got what fourteen wickets in that match, and this was your second Test match, if I'm correct, at the Oval. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, well, I mean, that was just an incredible piece of fast bowling. It was, it was, it was straight fast bowling. Um, he got 14 wickets in the match, and, and none of the other fast bowlers. And there's one more, one or two, I don't think. And well, there weren't that many left, were there? But, uh, I mean, it was just, an, it was an astonishing piece of, uh, of fast bowling uh, on, a, on a, you know, one of the flattest pitches I've ever seen. That's for sure. 
I mean, during this, the recent ashes, you know, when uh, all this sledging, you know, machismo, aggression stuff going on, everybody hopped back to the days of the fearsome West Indian fast bowlers and yes. talked about how they barely ever said a word, you know, it was all the looks and how they bowled it rather than actually, you know, getting into the face of the opposition. I mean, you played yes. against so many of them in the county cricket. So, could you yeah. expound on that a little bit? Well, I, th I think what's... Let me just put this a, a, another way. I think that what seems to happen now is compounded by the focus that's put on it. Um, you know, the, the, the nature of um, uh, the coverage now with all the, you know, the, the, the numerous cameras, as whereupon the, before that there, there weren't that many... Um, the cameras, there, were, there wasn't the focus on it, there weren't the replays like they have now. Um, and, and, I, and I do believe that, that actually it gets ramped up by the media in all its forms in, in, into the main issue. You know, I can remember, um, remember seeing in, um, in, during the Adelaide Test match, for example, I remember doing a, 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 a program, a television program, and we were talking about this very thing, about how all the newspapers were full, not of the cricket that had been going on, but of the confrontations and the body contact and all this sort of thing. It was just ramped up and ramped up. And I think that there's too much focus put on that now. And the more focus you put on it, the more I think that players think this is what people want hmm. and the more they're prepared to, to do. So I think it, it kind of escalates on the, on the, on the basis of, of, of that. You know, I think, the, I think the, the too much attention is paid to it. And if less attention was paid to it, there'd probably be less of it. Um, which is not to say that it hasn't gone on in various forms over the over the years, but uh, it's um, I, I think I think the, the attention it's given um, is is part and parcel of the um, the main cause of, the, of, of why we're seeing more of it now, if you like, why it's more why it's more obvious, put it that way. Regarding TV, so many TV cameras being around and that becoming prime focus. You know, cricket being a sport. I mean, I guess in sport at its uh, at every level is basically entertainment as well. Um, so yeah. now, you know, you want a tightly packaged story of the good guy versus bad guy and um, all this drama that goes with it that where cricket becomes yeah. a sideshow. Yeah. Well, look, the the, the the cricket itself. You know, there's some scintillating cricket played in that mm -hmm. in that series in Australia, and I don't think it needed the you know the, or that extra edge to it. It didn't, didn't require that. The cricket itself could talk very eloquently, I thought. Um, and, I, and I just felt, you know, it, you know, it was a distraction and an unnecessary distraction. It's what, you know, it's not really what people want to see. Do they, is that what, really what they want to see? You know, the, this sort of uh, pseudo posturing and, uh, you know, I don't think anybody, you know, Michael Clark didn't really mean I want to see your arm broken, did he? <laughs> did he? I, I should, I'd like to think not. So it's posturing, but and and it's 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 un, it's just unnecessary. I think I don't think it adds to the game anyway. But then maybe they say it makes them play better. Maybe they say it makes them play harder. But there's some very hard people playing the game of cricket, you know, over over decades gone by, and I don't think they're necessarily resorted to to that. Okay, um, I want to come back to uh, Mitchell Johnson. You know, how similar or different was he from? The fast bowlers of your era, you know, the Toms and the Lilies and the West Indians yeah. and stuff. And how different was it uh, the English batsmen now that handled it? And what should have, what should they have done better? Um, well, 
how does he rate in in terms of pace? He's he's, he's got to be right up there. He's a very fast bowler. Um, it's very hard to compare eras, and there were a lot of you know there have been a lot of. All we can say is that Mitchell Johnson bowled very fast, mm. um, and for for reasons which which I've outlined, I think it it, it was more difficult for people because they haven't seen that kind of pace. Um, today, you don't, you know, there really aren't the, the, that number of fast bowlers around anymore. Um, I mean, he was he was exceptional, and uh, he was he and Brad Haddon were the, were the, the real key to the, to the series. And I think most importantly, um, his capacity to 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 get rid of the lower order was was a very very big factor in the series. Haddon's capacity to get them out of trouble, and Mitchell Johnson's capacity to blow away the England uh, lower order. I think it was quite a, it was a huge factor. You played in an era of not so great protective gear, and now you know you have basically you're wrapped up in mattress uh, when you walk onto the pitch. Uh, but still, um, the people were afraid to get in line. You know, after a while, uh, you know, if you see the same kind of pace again and again, you know, I would think for players at this level, it should be a lot easier. Was it more a mental well, struggle rather than a skill level? Well, I think I think actually the England top order played him quite well. Mm -hmm. You know, they 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 let the ball go well. They got out of the way well, um, and certainly right up um, in, in the in the first few Test matches, he didn't really get the lower order out. It was the tail that he got out, and, and England were were kind of throttled away by um, by the other bowlers, by Harrison and, and, and Siddle rather more. And I say he blew the he blew the the, the tail away regularly, um, so I don't think it was that they you know they didn't get in line or anything like that. And in fact, the part the part of the skill of playing them is knowing how to get out of line really, get head out of the way. Um, they actually played it um, the, the the fast bouncer um, quite well. I thought they let it go really well, uh, and that's how it was played pre helmets. You know, you see a lot of pictures, don't you, of the ball going <laughs> past people's noses, and you think. Uh, my goodness, that was close. But actually, it wasn't close at all because the the the, the, the natural instinct then for him was to watch the ball. Mm -hmm. And if you watch the ball, then your instinct took your head out of the way. You got your hands out of the way first of all. You got your head back, and the ball went by. And there were very few people, in my experience, got um, got hit on the head. Um, now, people with the helmets, there there is an inclination to try and play the ball more. And then when they realise they can't play it, they'll they just duck their head and 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 playing on the on the helmet, and nothing really comes of it. So you know, the odd leg by that's that's what you get for it now. <laughs> so it's it's a question of how you play it. Now I think the England batsmen actually, by and large, did the former. I think they kept their eye on the ball pretty well. The bouncers mm -hmm. they didn't get out to the bouncers. Um, they, it was it was other balls that they they got out, and I think they played those quite well. Regarding England's performance overall, it was it was a remarkable turnaround in fortunes. You know, you get yes. to go from three nil to zero five and getting whitewashed. Yeah. Was I mean, I'm assuming England aren't as great as three nil or as bad as five nil either. So the truth has to be somewhere in between. But uh, have England been papering over the cracks last uh, six months to a year? And you know, just got exposed in Australia. Where do you see it? How do you see it? Yes, 
Well, I, I, I don't think you're far off the mark, really. The, the papering over cracks isn't quite the, 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 the phrase I'd use, but I, I think what they were trying to do was to get one last series out of a, a very successful team. Mm. I think had they decided, uh, you know, it was it was fairly evident over the past year that it was a team that was past its best. There's no question about that. Uh, we saw that in New Zealand, and we saw that in, in, certainly in the last summer. They, they, they won the series 3-0 without playing particularly well. Um, and Australia were just, would, were frankly, were dismal at times, weren't they? But they, they, mm-hmm. they got better, and there were, there, there were crucial spells in those test matches that, um, that England won, and that's what won in the series. So I think it was fairly obvious that the, the, the team was past its peak. However, had they gone to Australia and, 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 and before they'd gone and said, right, we're going to scrap this side and we'll take an entirely new team out there, I don't think that would have been very productive. So I think they were right to try and squeeze another another series out of a team that had just won uh, an actually series 3-0. I don't think there was anything wrong in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact was that, that it was a team that was, uh, that was past its, it collectively past its best. Um, a very experienced team, a very um, credentialed team, but one that was that was not playing as well as it had done maybe in 2011, 2012. Um, hence the, the need now to, um, to to start afresh. Um, and I think they, conversely, they were they were totally and utterly taken aback by the um, the ferocity with which Australians uh, came at them from the start, and uh, and it kind of escalated. From there, once they once they got beaten in Brisbane, as they got beaten in Brisbane, mm-hmm. it was always going to be difficult for them to come back because that was such a you know an overwhelming victory, having um, been in a difficult position on the first day. You know, England bowled them out pretty very well on the on, on the first innings in Brisbane, and uh, uh, you know to come back from that was quite remarkable. Um, and and it just it, I think the whole ferocity of it on on the field, off the field, took England uh, took England aback. And there were there were elements too that that compounded it, which you couldn't you couldn't legislate for when you you certainly, certainly couldn't legislate for for Alistair Cook's back going early on in the tour, and and so Michael Carberry, who was the reserve opener, came came in and got some runs. So Carberry has to play. Gary Balance didn't get a game where he would have played in their first choice team. So Joe Root went down the order. Um, you had Stephen Finn, who was an integral part of their attack. Who who couldn't pull the ball in the in the, in the same same postcode twice? So he was out of the equation. You had Jonathan Trott going home. You, you know, it, it, every, it just compounded. The things went wrong. It rained during their warm-up matches. It's um, you know everything that could go wrong seemed to go wrong. Quite apart from the fact that the Australians bowled magnificently well. Mm-hmm. Their, their top order batting is still very shaky. Four of the test matches, I think they were round about 130, 140 for five Correct. Uh, in, the, in their first innings. So, you know, their top order's not uh, not too flash. But, you know, Brad Haddon was was outstanding and, a, and a, certainly, in my view, a, um, as, as deserving a, a, a man of the series as Mitchell Johnson was. Uh, and, and England couldn't respond with their own lower order. So, you know, and there, therein lies the difference. Trot gone, Swan retired, um, and Stephen Finn sent back. England are in a full rebuild mode, so they have to start uh, completely from the scratch again. Well, you, yes, I mean you've got to go back. Um, in, in the old cliche, I mean, go back to the drawing board, I and mean, yeah. then they've got to. They, they certainly have to have to start. And uh, um, in fact, they sort of started with, given that they've got okay, they've got a limited squad there. They did start that in uh, in Sydney, you know, with uh, 
with Gary Balance coming in. Mm-hmm. No Swan, of course, so Panasar played, uh, Rankin played. Um, uh, Stokes Stokes played in in Adelaide, of course, and um, I mean that was one of the one of the um, the fortunate things that came out of the tour because had they thought Adelaide would not turn, and, and well, conversely they thought it would turn, they needed to balance the side, and Stokes came into that side strictly because they needed two spinners, and you found a Test cricketer in in that turn. That was just happenstance. He might not have got a game otherwise. So. Um, you, you have seen some sort of evolution, you know. You've seen Johnny Bairstow keeping wicket. Well, I don't think that one will last, but <laughs> but they've moved on from from Matt Pryor, and it may well be that Josh Butler's the, the next one. There's still a, a case for Matt Pryor to to come back. So there's there's a you know there's a definite and obvious rebuilding um, to be done around a nucleus of of, of players who will still serve them well. You think? Hmm. You had written a piece in the Guardian which basically said that Andy Flower wants Kevin Peterson out of the team. But since since then, Andy Flower has denied that he was ever, yeah. you know, it's uh, me or him sort of situation. He never, I guess he denied it without actually denying it or some sort of well, this management speak, uh, you know, that, and, that uh, they yeah, seem to be all I good mean, at. I, I might... It may have been slightly clumsy that it, in, 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 and, and interpreted slightly rather. Perhaps I didn't quite make myself clear what I was trying to say. When Andy Flair, if indeed it was Andy, it is Andy Flair, looks to how he can best develop the side mm-hmm. uh, in future, if he decides that um, it can it can only be the, the, the future of the England team. It can only it can he can only progress it if Kevin Peterson's not in the side, mm-hmm. right? In other words, if the long-term future of the England team has to be one without Kevin Peterson, I think the actual line how, you you wrote is Flavor is thought to believe that the future development of the team can only happen without Peterson. Yeah, look, yeah okay. if he if he if he if he thinks it, that it can only be developed without without Kevin Peterson in it, mm-hmm. right? and and Paul Downson the new. Um, managing director, or and James Whitaker disagree with that and say, "Well, we're not. We're we're going to carry on selecting Kevin Peterson." Mm-hmm. Then that would make Andy Flower's position difficult, wouldn't it? True. Right now, that's that's what I mean by okay. um, Andy. Andy Flower would find it difficult to to carry on in those circumstances simply because his vision of how the game should be to, to progress is not quite is 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 not would not involve if that's what if that's the way he thinks, right? That's why I say his future could depend on on that. That is not to not to suggest that there that, that, that it's it's um, it's Andy Flower against Kevin Peterson. That's not the case. He's managed Kevin Peterson for for seven years with whatever his personal feelings might be, and uh, you know I don't know absolutely what they are. He's managed him for for seven years or one way or another, five four five years as 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 as. as uh, as director of the England team and, and another couple of years as a batting coach. So, you, you know, he's been involved all that time and they've got through it. So you don't suddenly get this antipathy. Mm-hmm. So you, you you see where I'm coming from. It's, yeah, it's, I know, I, I get it. Any any decisions Andy Flower makes or will make will be based purely on on how he sees the future of the England cricket team, not not how, based on his personal feelings for, for one way or the other for Kevin Peterson. My understanding of reading that piece from you was that Andy Flower actually believes that the team, 
would be better off, uh, or the team that he wants to shape in the, going forward would be better off without Kevin Peterson. That that yeah. it's, it's already in a fully formed thought in Andy Flowers' mind. That that was the understanding, rather than if he thought that. You see what I mean? Yeah. Well, he, 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 clearly he will have his his own ideas of where the, the, the team can go. Yeah, my my personal view is that. That Andy Flower is, a, is is an extremely able coach. He's got a he's got a lot of credit in the bank. You know, he's won three Ashes series and a World T20 mm-hmm. and a series away in India. You know, that's that's a pretty strong credential uh, against one um, you know, pretty embarrassing um, defeat in Australia. Sure. So I think he's got a lot of credit in the bank. I think he could actually become um, a stronger. Um, director of cricket on the basis of what he's learned from what's happened here. You know, there's a lot you can learn from that, a lot you can take from it. A lot of things you can say, well, we've got that wrong, let's do things differently. You know, maybe the way we play has got to be different. The players we type of players we pick have got to be different. So there's a lot you can learn from from that. Um, just with regards to, um, uh, to Kevin Peterson, you could say that he's... You know, he's 34 years old now, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, and you could you could reasonably say that his best days are, uh, are behind him. You know, he played in 2012. He played three of the finest innings that, that, of, of this or any other era by an England batsman in, uh, in Colombo, Headingley and, uh, and in Mumbai, mm-hmm. all in the space of about six months. And then since then, it's... It's tailed off, as it has for a lot of people, but, it's, but it has tailed off. And he's 34 years old now. Um, if he's if he's looking for for 2017, as he keeps saying he is, South Africa, you know that's a, that's another three years, 37 years old. <laughs> is it going? Is it you know? Is that going to be the future if we've seen the best of him? And 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 again, you 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 have to you have to then factor in what is going to happen with this. Um, this IPL auction that's coming up, true, true. you know, because he's been, um, he's, he, he hasn't had his, his contract renewed with Delhi Daredevils, has he? The next round of, of auction is for three-year contracts, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't surprise me in the least if the three-year contracts were contingent, the big money ones, were contingent on full IPL participation. I don't think they'll pay big money for somebody who's only going to be playing half, a, half the time. And, you know, that, that wouldn't necessarily be a problem this season, but the following season, after the World Cup in 2015, England have got a test tour of the Caribbean uh, in, in April, May, which is during the IPL season, and that, that and that is a series that precedes the next Ashes series. So I can't see that that uh, England would would say, "Well, you go off and play IPL hmm. um, when we're building for the for the Ashes." So you can you can see how that might become an issue and. Um, we, we shall find out more about that, I guess, in the, the middle of next month when the, when the auction is. So all these things have to be taken into consideration when you're looking at the future of anybody in, in, in your team, to be honest. It's not just Kevin Peterson who's mm-hmm. under scrutiny. Everybody's under scrutiny. Um, um, and I suppose in his case, it's, um, it's more likely to be under scrutiny because of the, because of the, the nature of his, his, his other commitments, possibly, mm. and, and his age. That's that's completely fair. Rather than making it into a Andy Flower versus Kevin Peterson, um, let's look at an overall picture where you have the coach slash manager of a team, um, and you have let's say a very good player, a bowler, batsman, whatever. How do you see this? If there is actually an ego clash, or 
um, you know, it's a him or me sort of situation, who would you stick with? You know, is it easier to find an able coach or is it easier to find a great player? So, well, that rather depends. That rather depends on what goes on. You know, there's a lot goes on in the dressing rooms too, and uh, um, that we don't uh, get to hear about. You know, it, 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 there may be issues within the dressing room that, that compound it. Um, it it's, it's, there's all sorts of possibilities. You know, it's very easy for us to to sit on the periphery and and, and say, well, it's, it's obvious. He's a, what a great player he is, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he must play. But then. <laughs> Sometimes you have to make decisions based on on what is best for the for the for the corporate thing for the team. Um, whether the team is better, what makes the what makes the boat go faster? You know, you understand it's um, and those things I'm not privy to any more than, uh, than, than than anybody else is really outside the the confines of the dressing room. I'll agree so, with you. I, I agree with you on that. But in professional sport, you know, you look across uh, football or American football, basketball, baseball, cricket, anything, uh, team sport, uh, team professional sport. Bottom line is the important thing. It's all about wins and losses. You know, everybody says that. Yeah. So when you look at it in that sense, um, you know, would you want to stick with a player that's going to give you the uh, better chance of at winning? Um, and of course, great. There are in the history of sport, we've always seen that uh, you know the team lockers. Uh, where people don't get along, etc., etc., but they're still a professional. They have to play together, and they do. Yeah. Then, then you have to make a value judgment on whether the, whether that player is getting better, or whether he's past his peak, or or, or what. And as I'm trying to suggest to you, I, it, it may just be that, that Kevin Peterson's best years are gone. Mm-hmm. So, if indeed he's on the way down, you know, you know what happens in in cricket teams. It's not very often, very very rare in my experience that uh, a change in a team comes through somebody actually saying, I think he's better than him. He's still playing. He's still a good player, but I think he's better than him. Most things come because somebody gets injured or, or, uh, or, or like Ben Stokes, you know, it's a, it's a knees must thing with the, with, uh, with the team, um, you know, balance of the side. Something like that will happen and somebody will come in and do well. You know, I, I'll give you an example. Right? I, I, I said to Andrew Strauss um, out in Australia, look, just ask me this. Supposing... Supposing um, Michael Vaughan's knee hadn't gone, mm-hmm. and supposing Marcus Triscothic's um, uh, hadn't had his his, uh, his problems. Suppose those two things hadn't happened. How many Test matches do you think you would have played and Alistair Cook would have played? Because both of those players came in on the back of of, of those circumstances. Correct. Now it may well be that they'd have played on. You see, nobody would have said actually. I reckon. Andrew Strauss is probably at this stage a better player than Michael Vaughan. I think he'll do well for us. Nobody would have said that. The only time that's happened that I can think of, curiously, is when Kevin Peterson himself replaced Graham Thorpe in 2005. Mm-hmm. That's the only time I think of, think of that happening. So somewhere along the line, it's possible to make a value judgment. You know, and it is a professional judgment. That's what selectors are paid to do. That's why they're that's why they're the selectors, and we're not. <laughs> because because they make a judgment on what they see, on all the evidence they get. Some of it's empirical evidence, some of it is, is knowledge, some of it is experience, um, and they make their judgments on the basis of that. And it might be that they that they decide that although you know wonderful player, unique player, Kevin Peterson is, is a genius cricketer, or has been a genius cricketer. Um, they might decide that actually he's, he's past his peak, and we think that. But in in two years' time, which is what we're aiming for, again, I know I know we've got a series against India and all these things, but but still, 
is still the Ashes, isn't it? Right? In two years' time, who is going to be coming out batting number four for England? Is it going to be a 36-year-old, or is it going to be somebody who we bring on now in the, what, 13 or 14 test matches before then? Hmm. It's not that many test matches either, is it, before then, you see? So it's, it's, it's what you're trying to do. Now, it may be that they decide that actually Kevin Peterson is the right worker. It may be that Andy Flower decides that. Hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting for one minute that Andy Flower will preclude the idea of Kevin Peterson being in, in any future side. I've, I've not got that knowledge. Okay. Um, all I've tried to say is that, that it could be if he decides that Kevin Peterson is not the way to go, that he would do it, and other people decide that, yes, it is the way to go, then that would make Andy Flower's position difficult. That's all I've tried to say. Okay. Um, now, now that's, that's kind of got <laughs> tickled up into, into Andy Flower against, the, uh, against Kevin Peterson thing, because that's the nature of the business. And as I say, I may have written it slightly clumsily, but, but it's, that's, the, that's the, the essential point, is, is that if he, if he were to decide that Kevin Peterson was not the way forward... It would make and 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 the selectors. Uh, he is a selector, of course. But but um, uh, Paul Downson and uh, James Whitaker mm-hmm. um, decided against him that, that actually we do want him to uh, to continue playing for England. Um, then that would make his position quite difficult. That is true. All right. Um, I think uh, that's enough of Ashes. I, I want to let you go with the one last question, and yeah. this is about your playing career. For England, and this is a question from a listener, Sriram. Yeah. He, he wants to know what was running through your head as you make your debut and you take the wickets of Roy Fredericks, Vivian Richards, Alvin Kalichurin, <laughs> and then in the second innings you take um, Greenidge and Lloyd. Yes, yeah, I peaked early, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, very strange, you know, because the way we did test matches then to how we do them now is is uh, it's, it's a world apart in the in the in the, in the approach. For example, um, if I if I were to tell you when I, when I went on that winter's tour of India, um, our support staff mm-hmm. consisted of of Ken Barrington, uh, who was manager, of Bernard Thomas, who was a physiotherapist stroke assistant manager mm-hmm. and, a, and a bloke called Jeffrey Sullis who was a scorer that was our backup team <laughs> <laughs> now it's a little bit different isn't it to what it is now so my preparation for that test match was uh, was uh, I, I turned up on the in fact I wasn't selected originally I, I came in because somebody got injured mm-hmm. I turned up on the uh, Wednesday lunchtime we used to arrive for, um, for a Thursday start um, we had lunch, we had a net, and the next day we turned up and played a test match. Um, and I found myself opening the bowling against Gordon Greenwich, who I'd played against Gordon since he was about 15 years old. Mm-hmm. He used to play for, for, for Hampshire, Hampshire Twos and Hampshire Junior sides, you know. So it was just like me bowling the Gordon again. And I played, you know, played against him for Hampshire, and it was, it, it was, it was a very strange thing. I, I, I just thought I'm bowling the Gordon again. Um, now I, you know, I, was, I, I struck it lucky early on, um, and I'm, I'm glad I did. You know, I had Roy Frederick's caught on the, in the first over, and then I got Bowl Viv out and, uh, and Bowl Kelly out, um, and you know, suddenly I felt I'm, I'm, I'm in the game here, and uh, 
Um, and I was pretty, I was pretty, I was all right actually. I didn't, I didn't, I never felt nervous at all. And the reason I didn't feel nervous was because I was, just, it was, there was a familiarity to it. Mm. Um, and also, I think that because of the lack of big build-up, like a test match now lasts ten days, doesn't it? It seems to, you know, with all the hoo-ha beforehand, all the practice days and the interviews and all this sort of stuff. Well, you, you turn up from straight from straight from a county game to play a test match. You do county game and finish on a. Uh, on a Tuesday, three-day game. So then they play a Saturday, Monday, Tuesday game, mm-hmm. finish the Tuesday, and then you travel up the Wednesday lunchtime and the test starts on the Thursday. So there was none of that either to, to, to kind of get in your mind. So the, the, the leap didn't seem that great, I have to say. Hmm. Uh, and then you, England, you and England run into the bus saw that's Vivian Richards at the Oval. He makes 200-some <laughs> runs, right? And then and then you go to Mumbai, but then, and then you never play another test for England. I mean... No, well, yeah, that was. Um, I mean, the, the oval was a was a was a one-off really. And I, in fact, I didn't bowl that many overs there. I think. Yeah, you played fourteen. Deadly, deadly, yeah, I mean, poor old Deadly Derek bowled about sixty-five, didn't he? Seventy, something like that. Yeah. And um, you know, it was that kind. Of, it was that kind of pitch. Um, uh, kind of certainly neutered me. Didn't swing. I tell you what, we had we had we or I known about reverse swing in those days, it might have made a bit of a difference. Uh, that's true. But, but we didn't know about that then. You, you, sometimes the ball did some funny things. We didn't know why. Um, and you know that 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 that's something that I, I, I rather wish we known because it would. If ever there were conditions that were <laughs> tailor made for reverse swing, that would have been it. Um, and then we went to India, and there were sort of. Four, I think we have four warm-up matches against um, sides, you know, the, the zone zone teams. Mm-hmm. I think we played in, in Pune and we played in Jaipur and we played in Jalunda and we played somewhere else. I think four games mm-hmm. and indoor, I think. And uh, um, in those games, I, I bowled um, with John Lever and I bowled all right. Um, come out with a couple of wickets here and a couple of wickets there and JK came out with sort of three weeks, four wickets here and there mm-hmm. um, and so he got into the first team got got ten in the game in a half century and that and that was that was the end of it really until until I came into the last test match um, quite literally just before the toss um, I was told I was playing because Chris Holt um, pulled out of an injury mm-hmm. and I hadn't hardly bowled a ball for, for two and a half months in, in, on anything like Proper, proper pitches played on game on pitches where you send down a couple of new ball overs and the spinners would come up. Yeah. So I hadn't bowled a ball and I, went, and, uh, and I went around the park and that was the end of it. All right. Um, thanks a lot for uh, being on the show, Mike. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you. That's right. It's a pleasure. Yeah. And I hope so, I can have you again. Yeah, yeah surely. All right. So that's it. Bye Couch Talk.